Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. Hi, welcome to Mindspace. This is Jeff Boucher, and this week we're going to the intersection of Hollywood and Vine. We're going to do <laughs> an entire show on Tarzan the Ape Man, and we have as our special guest, well, I'm here with Maya St. Clair, and I'm, we're here with our special guest, Michael Giltz. How are you, Mr. Giltz? Uh, I'm great. Thanks for having me back on. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. It's great to have you on the show, and Michael, of course, is a veteran entertainment journalist and Old. also... Uh, yes, cor correct. And also, uh, you can find his podcasting at Showbiz Sandbox. And uh, you should do that directly and quickly because it's very, very good, very insightful. Um, you know, the reason that I thought about talking about Tarzan today is because of Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, his birth date is coming up here uh, in a couple of weeks. And I'm sort of fascinated by his career. Um, I don't know. Do you know much about how he started, Michael? Uh, I do. I've, I've, I've not read a biography of him, but I've read up on him, and I'm pretty familiar with him. He has a esteemed family lineage, goes back to the early days of the, the United States, traces all his family roots on both sides back to the British, and very proud of his name. In fact, the thing that amused me the most was that, you know, he struggled to do this, struggled to do that, and this didn't work, that didn't work. And at one point, he's a a whole salesman of pencil sharpeners yeah. and that's what he's selling and when he writes his first pulp fiction short story because he says i could write this junk i could yeah. do better than this he uses a a pseudonym because he wants to protect his reputation <laughs> he's selling pencil sharpeners and he's worried about his reputation that's funny that's <laughs> he a wasn't a successful pencil sales sharpener you know no no uh and uh it's a dull job despite the job title uh, the yeah he was in Cincinnati Ohio I believe and he was uh, working at uh, this wholesale uh, pencil sharpener place and uh, he had sales people salesmen who were out and he was waiting for them to report back and he would while away the hours by reading the magazines that the company had advertised in as part of their uh, to uh, confirm their taxes and, and their revenues uh, and and expenses they kept copies of the magazines that their ads sold those pencil sharpeners in and he noticed that uh that these pulps magazines were you needed more imagination than perhaps writing talent and so he <laughs> sat down and he he decided to write himself uh, an adventure and, and two things came out uh one was tarzan the ape man and the other what would be known as eventually you know john carter warlord of mars or uh by different titles but uh, Disney revisited his film John Carter and uh, later he would do also uh, I think the land that time forgot and some other stuff but primarily known for Tarzan and, and what a what a phenomenal uh, turn of events for this guy so like as you say he was a ne'er-do-well he hadn't hadn't really made his mark 
he'd had a series of jobs. Uh, he, there's a list. It's they were dredging for gold. His family, they were, they had a gold mine operation that failed. They did, you know, he went out west when there was a the Spanish flu and worked on a ranch as a cowboy. He he was itinerant. He really had not clicked at all with anything. But God forbid, you know, he was a you know writing pulp fiction that was shameful <laughs> well it's true and stan lee changed his name too you know i guess there's really nothing worse than being a writer i guess <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing worse so uh but uh and this amazing success that he had with these two characters uh and it transformed his life and and um uh, it's funny this uh uh if you look at tarzan uh the first edition this is not a guy that was an expert on Africa. Uh, this is not a guy that was like uh, Kipling who had gone to a, a, on a great adventure in his life and was writing stories about exotic lands. Um, and that was reflected in the fact that Burroughs put a tiger uh, in Tarzan. And of course there are no tigers in Africa, they're native to, to Asia. And, and uh, uh, in subsequent um, printings, they fixed the error. Uh, but I'd always thought that was kind of amusing that this guy uh, in Ohio uh, didn't know enough about the uh, the dark continent to know that there was no tigers. He'd never been to Mars either. He'd never been to Mars and wrote about that like he had. I mean, that's crazy. And, you know, I think there's something, if you think about Cincinnati, also the home of the Cincinnati Bengals, tigers. Also, <laughs> there must be something going on in the Ohio school system uh, about uh, uh, the, the, the big cats of, of other countries because uh, they got to work on that. But... Uh, and a huge success, uh, and uh, Burroughs' uh, character made it onto the screen. Tarzan made it on the screen in, in a matter of years. I mean, I believe uh, the, it debuted in 1912, and by 1918, it was on the big screen with uh, Elmo Lincoln. Um, for you, Michael, what's uh, of the Tarzans through the years? Is there one that you kind of uh, that resonated for you, or that you least think of if you like it or or don't like it? Well, even now with all these Sherlock Holmeses, the first one that springs to mind is the one when I was a child, which is watching the old Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes movies. And in the same way, even though I watched the TV series with Ron Ely, the first one that springs to mind is clearly Johnny Weissmuller and me, Tarzan, you, Jane, which is pretty divorced from the novels, but that's, that's Tarzan. That's the one that sent it into the stratosphere in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's uh, fitting during this uh, Olympics time to uh to touch base with one of our first celebrity uh, olympian by Olympians. far the greatest olympic athlete turned movie star i mean you know jim cotta is not going to cut it has there ever been another olympian certainly an olympic medalist who went on to a successful acting career like johnny weissmuller did i don't think there's anybody even close oh bruce jenner yeah bruce he's had jenner, a career he's mary lou retton yeah. had one movie i know of uh and jim thorpe Oh, yes. But yeah, but, again, but, nobody had a good career. No, but Johnny Weissmuller had a substantial career. He was in Tarzan for a dozen plus movies. And then he said, uh, I'm getting too old to wear the loincloth. But that didn't stop him <laughs> from immediately becoming Jungle Jim and getting to wear a full outfit like an adult and move on and make a bunch more movies. So, but yeah, know. it's amazing. Also, just sort of the, uh, the sort of the flexibility that audiences had back then. I mean, and you look at Buster Crabbe playing Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers. Like he's he's not just... I mean, he's both guys like uh, and, and they don't seem to they didn't seem to mind at all. And I always have trouble telling them apart. <laughs> I really Flash did. Is the, Flash is the one with the blonde guy. <laughs> That's just <laughs> just remember flashy. Uh, but uh, uh, what uh, 
not only does was he the uh, iconic defining Tarzan, but he still echoes today quite literally with his his trademark yell, which has been consistently used throughout the years uh, by every most every subsequent Tarzan. And actually, is also trademarked. There's a trademark number uh, for that yell for that piece uh, of audio. Yeah, which is fantastic. I, I don't know if Carol Burnett knows that, but uh, <laughs> yes, Carol Burnett famously in her show would do a Tarzan yell as well. Quite a credible one too. Yeah, and uh, Tarzan, he been such a, 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 I mean, he was a central character in American pop culture. Edgar Rice Burroughs was the Stephen King of the first half of the 20th century. I mean, as far as sort of a, a American popular writer with his sales, he was he was uh, right at the top uh, as far as number of books sold for American authors in that half of the, for, uh, the 20th century. And um, much bigger uh, than say Conan did. That's right, but bigger than Robert E. Howard. Um, and because of the films and the comic strip, you know, uh, which, you know, with Hal Foster and Gray Morrow and, and all the, the amazing um, comic books and then later animation, um, Burroughs himself wanted, he, he was thinking about animation very early on. In the 20s, he was saying he thought Tarzan would be ideal as a, as a, a as an animated character, and, and after seeing Disney's uh, success, he he said, "Walt Disney, that's what you know we need to look at for Tarzan. Uh, it would only take you know several what <laughs> sixty years, sixty years before that came to fruition." So let's let's stop here. He wrote the Tarzan novel, massive success, and a, a very smart entrepreneur. Within right. 15, 18 years, he founded a company and started self-publishing his books so that he could make all the profits. And he also said, I want to put Tarzan into a comic strip. I want to put Tarzan onto the radio. And people said, no, 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 you're, that's crazy. You can't do it in all these different areas because people will get sick of it or they won't know which one is the real one. And right. I don't know if he's the actual first to innovate that, but According to some, he said no. He pushed it through. He and he had it, and all, and they just fed one another. Tarzan on the radio made you want to read the Tarzan comic strip. Tarzan comic strip made you want to read the books, and then the books made you want to see the movies, and the movies started it all over again. And then finally, you're in Tarzan Beyond Tarzan verse. Uh, you know, we're going to have multiple Tarzans on screen. Uh, you're in literally Tarzana, so successful a character <laughs> that he bought a ranch named it Tarzana. The town grew up around it. And they officially incorporated themselves as Tarzana, California. He is buried in a place named after the character that, you know, lives on today. Tarzan, Tarzana, California. That's that's crazy. That is crazy. And, and even crazier is the fact that um, Tarzana has little or no Tarzan stuff in it. I mean, you, you could <laughs> if you go to Metropolis in the Midwest, they have like a Superman. They have a, stat they have a statue, statue right? Statue and yeah. stores and murals. If you go up to, um, uh, to uh, where is it? Oh, they have a, a place in uh, Star Trek. Place oh, in yes. Canada. Yeah. I can't think of the name of it, right? It's after the town where he was born, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, if you go up there, they have Star Trek stuff left and right. They, they celebrate it with their culture and everything like that, their local activities. But in Tarzana, California, you can't, I mean, you, there's not a vine to swing on. There's nothing. There's no Tarzan Museum. There's no Tarzan Gift Center, um, uh, which is really interesting. James T. Kirk was born in Riverside, Iowa. Is that where it is? No, no. There's or is a it, place. Or is it for Gene Roddenberry? Oh, no, it's a place. It's called like, it's like, it's not Vulcan, Canada, oh. but it's, it's like, uh, oh, 
I'll think of it. Hold on one second. <laughs> I'm turning to our team of researchers. <laughs> and they got nothing. It'll show up. No, I believe it is Vulcan as uh, the team researcher who was Googling. <laughs> Vulcan. Yeah, it Vulcan. is in Al Alberta and is recognized as the official Star Trek capital of Canada. <laughs> a title for which there was probably very fierce competition well i'll tell you the uh, uh horta canada is really disappointed that their their bid to be uh, tribbles ontario is furious <laughs> lake tribble yeah exactly well um, let's start with the book because that's where yeah. it all began have you read the book i have uh it's been many many years but i, I did read the book do you remember what you thought because I was surprised at how good the book was and how different it was from the movies that I knew. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was good too. I read it as a teenager, and I I, I found a lot to like in it. Um, and it's, I mean, it's uh, the portrayal of of uh, natives, which are often to, uh, described as cannibals, ignorant cannibals, or uh, that he loves killing, that he loves killing, and he enjoys tormenting, and that he's inherently superior to them largely because of his breeding, his stock, and... Um, Not just you know, that he's white, but that he's a, a, a elite upper-class white. I mean, yeah. it's double eugenicist. <laughs> yes, exactly. And later, uh, you know, he probably would have been a Nazi supporter, except he just hated Germans so much because uh, he was <laughs> such a, a Anglo-Saxon guy. Um, and, you know, the book, uh, I think it's surprisingly well-written. Um, yes. considering he was 37 years old and again on his like 12th career and seemingly had no predisposition toward this. Um, he hadn't written uh, a word. It wasn't like he was a hack writer like me and then suddenly decided to write a book and maybe you'd have a facility because you've written so much. You can sort of put words together. It may not right. be good, but by God, I could write a book in an hour. It just would be crap. But right. he, from doing nothing, we don't know that he even read much. And All suddenly, we know is that he had pencils and they were sharp. <laughs> and they were That's very sharp. <laughs> the book, the, the, the Edgar Rice Burroughs is deeply racist. I mean, even by the tenor of the times where there was eugenics and there were people who were progressive and liberal who thought eugenics was a good thing. And then there were people on the far right who pushed it into an even uglier level of the Nazism. This guy was super racist. He he was like, we should kill off all criminals and kill off people who have poor genes. And that's how we'll create a new race, which is his big nonfiction treatise. He, he, he's very, very racist. Uh, the first Tarzan book transcends that to a degree. The movies are worse uh, in many ways. The books become incredibly trite as you go on. The first book is really quite good, if you don't mind a little racism. The second book, The Return of Tarzan, is good. The third book, The Beasts of Tarzan, is, eh, and they and they really slide down after after that. In contrast, the John Carter books, the first one, A Princess of Mars, is almost incompetent. It's right. terrible. The second one is okay, The Gods of Mars, and the third one is pretty good. It never gets more than pretty good, but they were hugely successful as well. The Tarzan books remain hugely successful, but his one moment of true inspiration really he applied himself and he did a great job is that first book tarzan of the apes yeah it really really is and and it's fascinating how many words this guy had in him again i mean to start at age 37 and not only uh, i mean there would be 22 tarzan books in all i think uh and 
the the Barsoom books, the Martian books, the uh, the, uh, the time that Lane forgot stuff. And some other the, the the Hollow Earth books. The, the Earth That's is right. hollow. You can go to the Earth. The at the Earth's core was his first book like that. Now he's got all sorts of books. You know, you and name then, it. He's spinning them out. And then he also had like an interesting career as sort of a citizen celebrity journalist in a way. Uh, you know, I mean, he covered the Hearst papers. Covered uh, hired him to cover a kidnapping trial. Uh, in the 1940s, and that's when, for instance, it, it really sort of revealed his racism, I think, on a new level, because that's yeah. when he started opining about uh, morally inferior uh, oh, yeah. uh, races and things like that. And that, I think that's when... It ain't uh, subtle. Yeah, it's a lot less subtle than the Tarzan book, the first Tarzan book. And then um, an interesting twist is that he also ended up being, uh, in his 60s, uh, a war correspondent. He uh, became a celebrity war correspondent uh, covering the Pacific Theater uh, for the Los Angeles Times. Which I'd is, love to I'm, read what he said about the Japanese. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it was perfectly subtle and you know nuanced. Uh, <laughs> that's, well, that's why he didn't want to go to Europe. It'd get a little murky there. He wanted to keep things nice and clear. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're talking about him today, not because we think he's great and uh, uh, but uh, because we think that uh, it's worth talking about these things that are part of pop culture and that are in but the why are, why are we drawn to this? Now, the first fear is that there's some yeah. inherent racism and we just love the idea of a white man being able to be superior to everybody else. Even if you drop us in the middle of the jungle, by God, we will go to the top of the pyramid. Uh, you can't help feeling that a little bit. It's certainly rooted in some of its appeal. However, when you look at cultures all over the world and you read mythology and folk tales and legends and the stories that are told the feral child is always a big one in all mm -hmm. cultures the idea of a child raised by animals and also the idea of a, of a child raised by animals and thriving and not just be, becoming animal like but becoming human and a, almost superior human uh, but surviving and thriving in that new culture and then coming back to society you see that all over the world so it's not something rooted in just western anglo-saxon male racism racist you know fantasies it's right. there's something appealing about a human dropped into nature raised by other animals and coming to life of course one of the more famous ones is the jungle book which sure. is not nearly as racist as you might think given the reputation of uh, rudyard kipling and he recognized that Tarzan was really the Jungle Book grown up, the Jungle Book amped up to a thousand, the Jungle Book turned into Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he said he took my story and he ran with it and he was sort of admiring of it, even though he never saw the movies. He did read that book and think, well, it's not a great book, he thought, but, you know, by God, he made a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, there is, um, I think a lot of it is, is sort of serving the audience's perspective. I mean, I think... Uh, um, you're supposed to feel like, what would it be like to be this kid, grow up in the jungle and stuff like that? Of course, you, although you know deep down, you wouldn't ever be Tarzan because you'd be, you'd be dead. <laughs> yeah, you'd be dead. Um, and Spit is a fascinating character in some in, in some of the iterations, uh, the portrayal of Jane through the years. I mean, look at the actresses that have played Jane. I mean, we're, uh, you've had uh, O'Sullivan, Marino Sullivan, uh, you know, uh, Miss uh, Pharaoh's mother. Uh, you also have uh, Minnie Driver, and you have Margot Robbie, and you have and Bo Derek, who got top billing. Bo Derek gets <laughs> top billing. Richard Harris is second, and poor Tarzan is ranked third in Tarzan the Ape Man from 1981. Probably the worst Tarzan of all time. Oh sure, 
I mean, I well, don't know. No. I saw the Casper Van Dien, and there's a lot. That's yeah. truly dreadful. There's a lot of bad Tarzans. I don't know if there's anything redeeming in Tarzan the Ape Man other than if you like it, Bo Derek. What do we think about the most recent one? Did you see uh, the David Yates? The, the Alexander Skarsgård film? That's correct. No, I have not seen it. That's from 2016, The Legend of Tarzan. I was wondering if you did, how was it? You know, I saw it and I can't remember a thing. <laughs> I can't remember Tarzan the Lost City, except I wanted to see Casper Van Dien as Tarzan. God forgive me. I want to see like, Margot Robbie. <laughs> I like, exactly. I like Starship Troopers. And that is one primal appeal of Tarzan, uh, not homoeroticism, but just that sex appeal and that strength of sure. being in the jungle and a warrior. Tarzan the Ape Man from 1932 was a huge hit. And then the peak Johnny Weissmuller film, I think, is Tarzan and his mate from 1934 with him and Maureen O'Sullivan. She goes skinny dipping in the nude. It's pre-code. You see her naked in the water. You see it and you're like, wait, what? Did I just see that? She's in a tent and she's silhouetted while she's changing. You're like, I can see everything. Oh, my God. And they have the sexual chemistry and you know that they're having sex. Tarzan and Jane are absolutely having sex. And she's a single woman at the time, though they sort of cover it up. And so that, uh, you know, you're in the jungle, you're alone, you're with a woman, and by God, you're the only two people in the world. And that sexiness, that appeal is very, very strong. That's why you have Bo Derek. That's why you have all these hunky actors who tackle Tarzan, because there's something really, really primally exciting by the idea of just being the Lord of the jungle. Sure, absolutely. And then um, uh, for me growing up, the, I watched the the, the Weismuller and uh, movies and, and enjoyed them, but for me it was the Ron Ely, um, you know, just the one that uh, would show on Saturdays. It, uh, it aired originally in the '60s, and I saw the reruns in the late '70s and the '80s, um, and just I, there was something about him. I, he was just so charismatic, um, and just like this—he's this big, handsome, strapping guy running around. And he, but he was very egalitarian and, and very decent. And he didn't. He, All he, the Tarzan, other than their racism, they're very egalitarian. Other than their hatred <laughs> of black people, which is a problem when you're in Africa. Other it than is, that, they're always siding with the weaker guy. They're always—it's not just that they have a code of honor. It's like no, they are always, yeah, defending the weak and defending the weak and, and respectful of women. He, even in the books, he's not raping women when, even though the opportunity presents itself. Right. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. But Ron Ely, uh, that series began in 1966, the year I was born, ran for three seasons or three years, 66 to 68. Maybe that's just two seasons. And I, I just recall him. He's Tarzan. He's in the loincloth, but he's like the fully developed. Hey, how you doing, Tarzan? Yeah. Right? There's, there's there's no he just seems like a guy who's hanging out in the woods. Yeah, he seems like a lost beach boy. Uh, yes. Like He could have been one of the beach boys. Uh, uh, he's got these dimples and he's always clean shaven and he's very polite and he's is you know he's uh he's got perfect he doesn't have any sort of guttural sound to him he's not like me which is which is true to the book in the book he educates himself he can pick up a language like that ultimately in the books he becomes immortal they take some magical pill that makes him and jane and boy and others to be immortal it's just crazy you know the books become bizarrely you know bizarrely bad They're, he's sure. constantly stumbling across lost civilizations <laughs> yeah, all the time I, every other minute there's a new civilization but yeah i mean the ron ely character is really well educated and he just got sick of civilization and returned to the jungle which is indeed part of the story of the original tarzan books you know he tries civilization and says no and this is not for me 
And it was filmed in Brazil. Unlike the some of the first movies, it was not filmed in a studio backlot. I mean, Tarzan was filmed in Sherwood Forest. Talk about head spinning. Some of Tarzan <laughs> was filmed in Sherwood Forest, the first 1932 film. And <laughs> they planned That's to great. go on location for the second movie because it was such a big hit. Uh, but it didn't happen. But the TV series was filmed in Brazil. And, and then and Mexico. It showed- in the and the extras and the and the, the natives and stuff it was very confusing because the the, the people didn't look African often uh, on the Ron Healy show. Um, there was also an episode, if I'm not mistaken, that had Diana Ross and the Supremes as nuns. <laughs> <laughs> there was no boy. Like, there was no boy or Jane, right? Or no, that, uh, uh, there was a there was a kid that was always around, but it wasn't his kid. Uh, yeah, no Jane. Good, she curves his style. Um, but the, the Diana Ross and the Screams, I think, came through. Unless I'm, unless it's wow. a false syrup dream. <laughs> or it was an an, one of the animated series. Oh, I wow. liked the animated series a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to tell you a funny story. I interviewed uh, Ron Ely um, at the Haley Center. Now, uh, what was the uh, what was the occasion? It was just uh, part of their series of looking back on classic television, and he, and he was in town and. They asked if I would come do an interview with him. And I, I said, yes, I was very excited to do it just because I uh, enjoyed the show so much as a kid. Uh, he was at the Paley Center uh, in Los Angeles, the museum um, for television. And uh, they asked if I would come interview him. And I jumped at the chance because I enjoyed the show so much. And I have to say, he's just as charming and nice as he could be, just a really thoughtful guy. And he said that during early in his career, he didn't really enjoy the fans. And he's a private guy and he's a very athletic guy. He didn't really understand the fan culture as it was, especially at that time that wasn't as organized as it is now. But later he came to really love it. And by the time I talked to him, and this was you know, probably about uh, six, seven years ago, um, he was really, really enjoying it quite a lot. And I asked him, I said, what, you know, I have to say, I see you on this TV show and you're running around and I noticed I, you have no shoes on, uh, there's no socks. Uh, out a shirt. Uh, do you think that's wise? I mean, it, don't you think that these fights that you get in with like crocodiles and spear men, uh, don't you think they probably go a lot better if maybe you wore a tunic or like, a, you know, uh, shoes? And he's laughing. He's like, you know, clearly I, it would have made things easier, but somehow they think that it just would speak to the tradition of Tarzan. Um, but if you ever watch the show, and it's worth going on YouTube just to look at, you know, the opening credits are on there, and you might find an episode or two. Um, but he would just fight these animals, and they would show it on the show. And it, it, that's what I remember most is him just rolling around on the ground fighting these wild animals. And I couldn't understand how on earth he wasn't killed. Um, and I asked him what, because he fought all manner of beasts. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, uh, PETA wasn't around, the SPCA wasn't looking, but uh, in Brazil in the 60s, I'm sure that there was probably, uh, you could fight animals for money, but <laughs> I don't know. But I asked him what the hardest one was, and he said, by far, it was a tiger. He said, because if you fight a bear, and at this point, he puts his hands above his head uh, in like claws, and he starts swinging them down toward, the, in front of him, like he's a bear. He's like, bear will attack you like this, swat at you. Um, and you know, a lion will just try to bite you and, you know, put its hands on your shoulders, but a tiger at this point, he puts both his hands in front of him, but his palms are facing out. So he looks like he's swimming and he, he puts them about uh, chest level and he starts digging 
sideways like a gopher. He goes, this is what a tiger does. It, its claws come in at the center and they try to tear, tear you, you up. up. <laughs> and I said, what, what do you do when that happens? He goes, you don't let that happen. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you do? He said, you just don't let that happen. Uh, and it was one of my favorite things. It was most, one of the most educational interviews I ever had because I feel like I just know now when a tiger is coming at me, I know exactly how it's going to kill me. Uh, I know that exactly how death will arrive. Ron Ely, of course, also played Doc Savage in Doc Savage, Man of Bronze, another famous, famous Pulp Fiction hero that didn't catch on in the movies the way Tarzan did. No, it was a it was a template for Superman in some ways. I mean, uh, he, uh, you know, his uh, the Man of Bronze instead of the Man's, Man of Steel. He dated mm -hmm. a, a journalist um, named Lane, Margot Lane, um, and he was kind of a uh, elevated you know, intellect, man of tomorrow, kind of. Uh, I don't think I, I, I was fancied Ron Ely, but I certainly thought, wow, I'm enjoying this show as yeah. a kid. I was like, yeah, it's a good show. I like this show. I'm, yeah. It's worth watching week after week. I don't know. He, um, he's cheerful. But, but we're talking about the movies and the TV show because the books just don't hold up that much. Uh, once you get past the first book, it's a lot of junk. The John Carter books really don't hold up either. I don't know if you disagree. No, I agree with you, but I think that movie's underrated. I think that movie is actually not nearly as bad as people think. Mm -hmm. um, I actually enjoyed that movie. Uh, and I like Friday Night Lights, so I'm happy to support any cast member of Friday Night Nights in anything. So yeah. uh, that, I was excited for it. I was really rooting for him. Plus, I love the Pixar, so that's a, that's a heartbreaker, that's for sure. Uh, but Absolutely. you're starting with a, 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 a Civil War hero from the other side. It's a hard lift. It's a hard, it's a hard sell. Like, he's not making it easy for anybody. He's like, my hero is on the south. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and also, you know, we've seen Mars now. Like we've we sent a Martian rover there. It's like we see pictures. We're like, no, no, it doesn't look not, like that. Not, where are all the crazy people? It's but, amazing how much stuff got ripped off from John Carter, though. I mean, to have these, they have mystic warrior priest named Jada. Mm -hmm. Like, come on, George <laughs> Lucas. They, you, at least change yeah. it up a little bit you know like <laughs> and he leaps uh like superman know, like superman before superman was flying things like that well, you know, uh, but it, there were books, obviously, and then there were comic strips, which you mentioned briefly, but right away they launched a comic strip and top notch quality it was illustrated by Hal Foster, who went on to do Prince Valiant, one of the great comic books of all time. And he did a great job with these comic strips. You can find collections of them. If you look at them, they're just gorgeous. They're just beautifully Absolutely. illustrated. Absolutely beautifully, uh, beautifully done. Um, and then, and Bern Hogarth also, uh, you know, one of the just the tremendous uh, artists and, um, you know, known for his meticulous uh, depiction of anatomy. Uh, mm -hmm. he, uh, he did a, a famous series of anatomy books for, for artists, in fact. And uh, in, in the comics, in the comic books, there, everybody did different versions of Tarzan along the, top, along the way. DC did it in the uh, 60s and 70s and Marvel in the 70s. Um, the DC one is a particular note with Joe Kubert's art. Uh, Joe Kubert, who was the great DC artist on Sergeant Rock and Unknown Soldier and so many of the great things that, that uh, all the war titles he really left his imprint on. And uh, Tarzan was one of his signature works. I think his, his ragged and rough style looked really tremendous uh, in these primordial settings. And, but the uh, books aren't particularly well thought of, are they? Those comic book no. runs? It's just the artwork. And there was even a Japanese manga created by Osamu Tezuka, 
the guy who created Astro Boy and he's the godfather of, of manga. Uh, that's back from 1948. So you have the great comic strips. You have the great manga, I believe, at least its reputation. Yeah. Uh, so then really since 1996, uh, the, the Star Tarzan comic books went to Dark Horse. Right. And they're still ongoing today. Are they well thought of? Are they any good? Yeah, they're, they're, they're generally well regarded. They, uh, they haven't really sort of uh, lit it up with uh, an audience, but I think that, you know, they, they definitely have, a, um, you know, they definitely have taken the, the reader on a good adventure. I mean, there's good stuff there. So you've got, you've got good quality. You can take a character, you can throw them into all these other media. But it's not going to work if you don't do a good job. There were radio shows that were hits. I've never listened to them. There's the comic strip, which was beautifully illustrated. And you have the movies from the silent era, none of which I've seen other than a clip or two. And then when you have the live action one, I mean, the the sound era with Johnny Weissmuller, hugely successful. They ended up being B movies. Uh, They were big budgets at first, but, you know, very successful movies for sure. So that really helps keep it alive. Even when the, co- the original books by Edgar Rice Burroughs fell out of print, they were still making movies and TV shows, that's for sure. Absolutely, and merchandise, you know, toys through different generations. The Mego toys in the 70s, late 60s and 70s were really were, were great. But certainly a nader is when you hit Tarzan the Ape Man in 1981 with Bo Derek with Jane yes. getting top billing over Tarzan. Not good. And then you have the most tantalizing, the most promising and heartbreaking version of Tarzan that there has ever been, which is 1984's Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. You know you're in serious territory when you have both a colon and a comma. You have a long, they're not messing around. Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. They really went for it. And this movie has a legendary script. It goes back to the novel, that original novel, which is, it does, yeah. Very, very well thought of. It goes back to the original novel and the roots of Tarzan and does it better than any other Tarzan movie had before. And half of that movie is an absolute stone cold masterpiece. It's so good. And then they come to England and it all falls apart. It's Christopher Lambert from Highlander. It's beautifully done. And then it it, it just goes off a cliff. It's really sad. If you watch half that movie, you're going to see the story of Tarzan told it as good as it ever has been. It's interesting because I think the, the David Yates movie spent too much time in civilization as well, or not in civilization, but with him post uh, formation. I mean, he's not, you know, it's not an origin story, you know, per se, they show it in, in fleeting scenes, but really, I mean, it's, it's more about him after he's already famous uh, as Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Greystoke is heartbreaking because it really was, and you had Madeline Stowe as his love interest. They end up because is it Madeline Stowe, right? Mini, mini driver. Oh, Madeline Stowe. Yeah, right. And uh, they end up dubbing her voice with Glenn Close because she couldn't do the British accent. Wow, I didn't realize that. So Glenn Close was also in the Tarzan, the Disney one. Uh, That's so right. She, so she's uh, she's the double dipper. I had no idea. Yeah. So Grace Stoke is a heartbreaker for a lot of reasons. But maybe it's not Madeline Stowe, but it's what's Mini Driver, wasn't it? No. Look it up. The, uh, it's, uh, I'm it's, looking it up and it says Andy McDowell. Andy McDowell uh, is what yeah. I wanted to say. I knew it was the woman from, uh, from uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Andy McDowell just has an inherently Southern accent. And after they filmed the whole movie, they decided this doesn't work. And they dubbed <laughs> her entire character with the voice of Glenn Close, which is a nightmare. 
and, uh, and to think i mean ralph richardson ian holm i mean there's some and, talent and, and rick christopher lambert is a great tarzan he does yeah. a great job he's really good in highlander but he's yeah. magnificent in this movie he really but you know it's a screenplay by robert town it's hugh yeah. hudson coming off chariots of fire they had every opportunity to make a great movie it's how long is it it's it's two hours and 10 minutes though i think the original cut is like two and a half hours or three hours if they told it right they just right. did too much they went to the civilization which is not a good idea they should have just stopped in the jungle you don't yeah. need or spent 20 minutes in civilization and head right back again it just it was a shame it is a shame and um the glenn close uh, connection she in the disney one she was kala who was the uh, adoptive ape mother of tarzan so his, she uh, she went his. from jane to uh, kala <laughs> well i have a list of every favorite movie from every year and there are only two tarzan movies on it in 1934 i have tarzan and his mate and in 1999 i have the disney version of tarzan which i think is probably the best version of tarzan in many ways i think it's just sensational good score by phil and collins phil and collins phil collins great great drum oriented score uh you'll be in my heart is fine uh, okay. oscar winning song but the score is terrific the yeah. action is terrific. The voice work by Tony Goldwyn and Minnie Driver is terrific. It's a great story. And they have a very interesting way of avoiding the inherent racism of the books. What did they do? Well, there's no black people. There's no Africans. <laughs> uh, they, they just, there's no Africans at all. Uh, That's a very Disney thing to do. The only people that live in Africa, no, no people live in Africa. There are no people in Africa. Did we say there's no people? There's no people in Africa. And yeah, I think it's even in the opening narration sung by Phil Collins that it's a quote, paradise untouched by man. <laughs> oh, thanks, Phil. But that did, that did solve a problem of how they were going to present and tell that story. And I have to say the movie that's there is really good. What puzzles me about it, it was a huge worldwide success. They did some innovation in the animation to make it really move. That worked yeah. really well. It was yeah. great. Why? Physics. Why did they not make a sequel for the movies? They made two crappy straight-to-video sequels, two pieces of junk that have gotten poor reviews. And this, if ever a Disney film should have had a sequel, this is it. I think that uh, uh, it had to do with the Burroughs family uh, and oh. uh, and the uh, the deal with Disney um, because they still own, the trademark is still. Um, you know, active and the boroughs, you know, estate uh, at, at that time was still controlling things. And I think uh, the licensing deal that they was for just one the, movie. That's bizarre. Yeah, I think so. And but, you I know, think, Disney really is beg your pardon. Disney in general with their animated movies didn't make sequels. At that. Even even with Pixar, they didn't make sequels for quite a while. It was just not the game. They did start doing some direct to video sequels Absolutely. that became more and more common, like Aladdin. And, and of course, Toy Story 2 was supposed to be straight to video. And they said, this is actually quite good. Yeah. <laughs> but Tarzan cost one hundred and thirty million dollars to make. It grossed four hundred and fifty million dollars worldwide. Plus so that's a track. that's a rock solid, you know, hit. You've tripled your budget and more than tripled your budget. And of course, all the ancillary stuff. Yeah, Tarzan's Treehouse in Disneyland, uh, and uh, you know the and then unfortunately Tarzan the musical on Broadway, exactly. which opened and closed within a year. Uh, like Did you say Glenn Close? Did you say Glenn Close? No, you said open and closed. <laughs> uh, she's in it again. No, uh, yeah, the uh, I think the the Disney uh, didn't dip, double dip because of the uh, the deal with uh, it was too prohibitive. 
to yeah there's people. something about it that uh, one side or the other just didn't go for it that was a mistake by the estate how stupid you finally had a good tarzan movie for the first time in decades a commercially successful good movie that would have kept the name alive in a really vibrant the way it ha it's fallen off a map since then what's happened what? since then nothing oh yeah no nothing you know um one of the uh the great aspects of that film actually was as, as you mentioned was the, the movement um you know they did some uh some motion capture stuff that allowed them to or i, I should say i'm not sure if it's motion capture per se but it was motion uh presentation of almost like skating or uh yes well almost like skateboarding unfortunately skateboarding, yeah. yeah and uh just the movements and and the and also the uh the physiology of the of the main character, the way he looked, and, and uh, he had sort of a lupine kind of uh, uh, build, and just the way he moved and stuff. I thought it was really, really successful and, and very different. We hadn't seen that before in a Tarzan movie. And great voice work. You know, Tony Goldwyn, Minnie Driver, Glenn Close, et cetera, they all did really good voice work. So it's a really well-performed film, which you don't always get with Tarzan. I should point out, they did spin it off into a TV series. I, I was yes, probably on the Disney. I remember that. I remember I was us. a devotee of that, yeah. Is it, is it good? It ran for two seasons and 39 episodes. They're probably pretty expensive, so that doesn't mean much. It probably, did it run on Disney Channel, or where did it air? It, it did. I think I watched it on Disney Channel on TV. And oh, it, it says, was also compiled into one of the direct-to-DVD sequels, because I had that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember it was really interesting, because it was very kind of sword and sorcery, and that you, like, you, you go to adventures with them to lost temples and meet you know, priestesses and whatever. <laughs> Did you love Tantor, the germaphobic red elephant? <laughs> Not particularly. <laughs> Professor Archimedes Q. Porter. Uh, that's that Jane's like father. That's name. Jane's father, I guess. Wow. She had Jane like in the jungle and, and her dad, and uh, they're all living in Tarzan's treehouse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very, and Kayla, a female gorilla who's his adoptive mother. A like Turk, a wisecracking course. female gorilla. And Tarzan's adoptive cousin. I'm glad they're recognizing blended families. <laughs> it's considered by many people to be one of the more successful film uh, to TV animated adaptations in the Disney library, uh, along with Buzz Lightyear. A lot of people consider that one to be one of the one of the, the peaks of a not watered down version. And Toy Story 2 also came out in 1999, the same year of Tarzan. That's right. That's right. And, you know, for uh, for Disney, I mean, the, the great promise of Tarzan was that it would help sell toys to boys. Uh, and um, one of the things that you, that brings up now is, you know, uh, this most recent Tarzan film did not get any traction uh, at all, really, uh, despite having a, a director who had just done four Harry Potter films and, um, you know, uh, Margot Robbie, who's one of the hottest young actresses in Hollywood. Um, and you have to wonder about the future of the character, especially post Wakanda. I mean, after, I mean, the King of the Jungle now is Black Panther. Uh, and it's pretty hard to go back to Tarzan once, once uh, Black Panther's been on the scene. So even with that character in, in, uh, in semi-retirement, I would think for a good long time, I mean, they've said that they're not gonna recast and uh, uh, since the death of uh, Chadwick Boseman. Um, but I think that the legacy of that character, the, the, the shadow he casts, I don't think we're going to see Tarzan, George of the Jungle, or the Phantom anytime soon, any of the, the white jungle guys. 
I would love to see a crossover between Tarzan and Black Panther where like Tarzan is some sort of you know Wakandans view him as like some sort of like oh we're not gonna engage he's one of those you know primitive tribes that we just have a non-engagement policy he's like their equivalent of North Sentinel Island yeah he thinks he's he thinks he's got all these powers and really it's just them with their technology making him feel good he, they, they're worried that he's gonna hurt himself running around the jungle I mean he's sort of the Jake Sully of you know of, of Africa uh, uh does anybody know from Avatar? I, do people know who Jake Sully is? I guess so. Yes. No. Oh, that's the guy from Avatar. That's the lead guy. Yeah. 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 He's the one that's like. <laughs> We're going to see guy. how those do. Are they going to be Matrix two, three, and four? I wonder. Yeah. No, <laughs> I've never I bet so. against. Never bet against James Cameron. That's for no, sure. Not it's, commercially. It's true. It's true. I, I think though it's very revealing that you know there was a line of toys for Avatar and they never ever sold. Nobody cared at all. Yeah. There's you know there's you know, you you say to somebody, name, how many Harry Potter characters can you name? People all of them. up to like 20, 30. Name three characters in Avatar. Good luck. You know, you go, <laughs> you turn blue in the face before you can name four. <laughs> I, I couldn't name three. I couldn't well, name one. I just told you Jake Sully. <laughs> I know, that's it. <laughs> I had already forgotten the name. So, yeah, is Tarzan out of date? You know, The Phantom was a comic strip, of course, and all that stuff. I never thought of The Phantom as translating well, and he never has no. into any media, really. Maybe it was a radio show I don't know about, but The Phantom uh, has really never really worked. He's got a guy and his wolf running around doing stuff. That never tough. worked. It's uh, tough in, in, uh, in, on radio because he didn't have a sidekick. I mean, that's why, you know, all the radio characters, Lone Ranger, Green Hornet, they all have sidekicks so they can t tell somebody what they're doing. And the sidekick can be in danger and they can yeah, rescue and also them. like, look over there, Kimosabi. And I mean, you get all this exposition. <laughs> Otherwise, Lone Ranger is always muttering to himself there up ahead. I see them there. There's, you know, <laughs> it's a lot better if you could just talk to a friend. <laughs> so, so will Tarzan survive? You, you know, they're going to make more Tarzan. You know, there will be other Tarzan movies or properties of some sort. They'll rethink it completely as they've tried to do with Greystoke and some others to bring it up to modern sensibilities and ignore and get rid of all the colonial aspects of it. Someone can be dropped in the jungle and have to, it's going to be a black Superman. There could be a black Tarzan or, you know, who knows? You know, so there are ways to deal with it. And it will come back because it's such a primal tale and the name is so powerful. It, it, but like you say, right now, it feels incredibly dated and out of whack. And yeah, what? White guy? He's in charge, really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and do you know Tarzan actually means white skin? That's actually what the name translates to. <laughs> is it? It a, really in, does. In what language? Or did he just make it up? He made it up. But I mean, I, I mean, that's what he says it's defined as. And, yeah. And you know, if you want something better or something that reacts to that, you could, of course, go to the late George Saund Charles Saunders, who just died uh, last year. And he was a pioneer of the sword and soul as opposed to the sword and sorcery genre. He read Conan the Barbarian and said enough of this. And he created his Amaro novels, I-M-A-R-O. And that's where you have a black hero in Africa steeped in African mythology, uh, along with Black Panther, really important in terms of sort of reclaiming that stuff and, and placing them front and center. And by them, I mean the characters of the people who actually live in Africa. <laughs> so uh, those are really well thought of and well, well remembered books that have really uh, uh, lasted and they keep getting reissued. So you can find tomorrow usually came out in 1981, the first book, but they're out there if you want to read something with a fresher perspective. Now, uh, I was thinking as a, as a final thought, maybe we could, uh, you know, 
Uh, Maya, when you were saying uh, it'd be fun to see him with Black Panther, actually, it really would be pretty fun to see Black Panther and Tarzan. That would be a, a really great way to rehabilitate Tarzan in a really interesting way uh, to see the Black Panther character move forward eventually. Uh, although some people would be very happy if we just leave that character uh, with Chadwick forever. And, and I certainly understand that sentiment uh, and, and applaud the idea. I'm skeptical that uh, corporate America will find the ability to do that long term. Aren't there just new leaders of 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 the Wakanda? I mean, don't new yeah. people just take power and take the mantle of the Black Panther in the next yeah. phase? But I think that they're, they're just, not T'Challa. They're just exactly, but uh, uh, exactly. So I think that they'll they can do that. Uh, but it'd be interesting. Is there any other characters that are that we've talked about? Some of the older characters, the pre nineteen fifty creations that maybe if we paired them up with a modern character could help them rehabilitate like that. Like, uh, I was thinking, um, you know, we've seen, it's not really an older character, but, uh, you know, there's been reports about uh, Harrison Ford's injury on the set of Indiana Jones, the new uh, sequel. Um, oh, right the first week. I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but you're like, what's oh, that? I shouldn't laugh, but, you know, and he's fine, thank goodness, but you're like, yeah. oh, Harrison, he's, yeah. oh, I pulled my back, you know, that's just, yeah. the jokes are there. It's tough, it's tough, yeah. it's like a Rolling Stones tour, you know, yeah. um, and, uh, but it occurred to me, like, uh, Captain America and, and Indiana Jones team up in the 40s would be a great movie, if you had, like, a young, uh, when you recast Indiana Jones and re recast Captain America, it'd be a great team up, because they're both active during World War II, and they both owned by Disney. Then uh, they could join the Rocketeer, uh, <laughs> and you could just have like a, a, an old old guys, uh, old heroes. I'd go see that uh, if they put them together with Namor. You have the Invaders; it'd be great. Well, it's like feeling that Wonder Woman works best in that World War II era, doesn't it? There's characters that belong in that era. You don't want to bring them into the present. Well, she was World War One in the movie. In the latest I mean, World movie. War I, I mean, yeah, yeah. In the TV show, she was World War II, and then they took her to the big screen, and, and Patty Jenkins made her World War One, and now 1984 uh, in the most recent one. But uh, you're you're right because of the uh, uh, again that that sort of aristocratic uh, European tradition of an adventurer. You know, um, if you look at good guys and bad guys in the old European stuff, I mean Sherlock Holmes and Dracula, and I mean these were aristocrats. They didn't have day jobs. They just they didn't have to work. Uh, they were armchair detectives or Transylvanian counts or, you know, the Scarlet Pimpernel or, or you know, uh, Robinson Crusoe or any of the They seek him here. They seek him there. They seek him everywhere. The damned Pimpernel. Exactly. There's one. Why didn't that make it to the screen? Well, maybe it's it the did. Scarlet Leslie Howard. Pimpernel. Yeah, Leslie no, I mean, Howard. But I mean, like, when did it make it? Why did it make it back to the screen? I should say. Yeah, I mean, but Leslie Howard bores the living daylights out of me, and his name is Pimpernel. That's, That's just answer. not yeah. going to work. It's, I feel Tom Swift. Tom Swift was just brought onto the. There's a Nancy Drew TV show right now, which apparently has a lot of fantasy in it. Go figure, though that's not Nancy Drew. And there's Tom Swift pops into a special episode as a potential spinoff, and he's a person of color, and he's gay, and he's got issues with his dad. And I'm so ready to watch. I'm like, oh, you know, people, you're trying to like. Some people <laughs> should just be left alone, you know. Shoot Doc Savage, Tarzan, maybe they're best left where they were. Yeah. Well, any nominations? Anybody have any thoughts? Why? I know it's a it's a weird question, but is there any? Uh... I I don't know. I I loved. I never read Tom Swift, but we got a friend donated us or second handed us a bunch of Tom Swift novels. And I just loved the covers. 
They're great. Uh, I mean, I think they would they would be great with a modern sensibility. Like if you you know diversify his group of friends and uh, add add more women kind of inventors. I mean, that's a huge push is is women in STEM. You know, if you add lots of girl geniuses to his group, that would be super fun. It should and just I mean, be I mean, in that period. Yeah, I don't I don't want to see Tom Swift in two, 2020 fighting with Tesla, Elon Musk. Yeah. I want to see him back in the 30s. Yeah, I mean, the aesthetics are just as long as they, I mean, you could obviously, you know, reject some of the quote unquote realities of the period. But if you keep like his giant helmet with the little radar thing on it, and if you keep the bright, you know, cherry red spaceships, that would be so fun. And I mean, the titles are just so compelling like my favorite one i have it still is tom swift in the caves of nuclear fire who (laughs) (laughs) who doesn't want to see that (laughs) especially in animation the potential to just go above and beyond and kind of surreal and gangbusters with it would be really fun i agree totally and i love the idea of tom swift i think i read one book they're not good there's lots of tiresome uh you know, hipster dialogue and Doc Savage. I've never read a Doc Savage. I saw that movie on HBO from 1975. It's terrible. I have no, I have no understanding of why I would care. And yet I'd like to see a pulpy, the pulp books just have a great appeal. They do have great covers. They have great visuals. They have a great sensibility, that sense of an unexplored world and daring do it's hard to feel daring do today. You know, we're worried about a little bug, you know, putting on masks. So it's fun to be back in an era when you can find unexplored continents. And by unexplored, I I mean, you know, (laughs) Africa, I guess. Um, And there's nobody there. We might as well go. Apparently, yeah. It'll be great. Just waiting Uh, to be discovered. The the character I'd love to see done right is the shadow. Uh, Yeah. The shadow is, there's some interesting things about the shadow that, uh, you know, uh, he's of that era. He doesn't have a cheesy costume. You know, he's just got the cool hat, got the scarf. He doesn't um, even have any any powers. He's just a man about town, Lamont Cranston, who right. can be very, very quiet. And suddenly, <laughs> for some reason, nobody can see him. Well, he's got the the sort of he's learned the ancient Asian mystic tricks of of being invisible and sneaking up on people and changing his face and all this other stuff. But I think it'd be great with like a Tom Waits soundtrack. I think it'd be really cool shadow meets batman base it in the 30s i'd go see that well the shadow is great because it has a great radio series with orson wells you can listen to them on youtube anytime and who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men the shadow knows and he's writing wrongs and it's it's got you know you've got the saint they're bringing back the saint Uh, all these these it's not just that they have name brands are they it's not just that oh we recognize the name there's something appealing about the inherent do-gooderism of it and the fighting crime and and setting the world right that you just yearn for and i guess they did then too for the same reason you know the world can feel a little chaotic and when you've got doc savage or the shadow uh out there you feel things are gonna be okay tom swift can come up with something yeah and then for hollywood i think that boils down to if not brand memory at least uh easily explainable digestible concepts and you know that's shorthand for um, you know, people know what these things are. And, and uh, you know, if you have a trailer trying to explain the Matrix or trying to explain Avatar, maybe or maybe it not, it breaks through. But if it's trying to explain Tarzan or Batman, they assume that people have uh, the, uh, the sort of, they're tethered to memory and just the general uh, consciousness. Though to be fair, unless, except for us, for most people, you do have to explain who the heck the shadow is and try and forget Alec Baldwin. You do have to explain Doc Savage. You do have to explain Tom Swift. You just, 
it's easier to do when it's a pretty well-built character from the start. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, I hope we do see Tarzan again someday, but I think uh, if not, at least I know for me, I learned how to fight a tiger. I know how, <laughs> how, how to fight a tiger. And also there's one other tip I'll leave you guys with too, is that uh, I asked Ron Ely about crocodiles um, and he said, you don't want to fight them. I said, okay. <laughs> I made a note of that. And the second thing says, if you are running from a crocodile, I said, okay, this sounds like something I would do. Uh, the running They're part. fast. They're fast. Zigzag. He goes, yeah. everything in your instinct is going to tell you to go straight because it feels faster. But their little legs, they get lost if they go, if they scare to the side. So just run zigzag. And I'm like, you're just messing with me, aren't you? Now, this is just, this is what <laughs> No, because they're fast on the ground. They're fast. Yeah, they are. And they'll whip their tail around and take you right down. Lord. All right, I actually had an alligator encounter on the University of Florida campus, a five foot oh. alligator that was uh, that I killed by accident. I ran over it. Oh, oh, so it wasn't the one in the lake that would come out every once in a while. Well, there it was, was that, that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, it, it was probably in a lake at some point, but it was a it was underneath my car uh, trying to stay warm under the engine block. It was like December. I never saw it. I didn't see it until oh. I backed up. I know I felt terrible. But terrible. you have some great shoes. I have some great luggage. Yes, yes. I, I packed that's, my luggage. No. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. What is wrong with you? I did not. I was going to no. make the joke. You just beat me too. No animals were harmed during the making of this podcast. No, no. Actually, I ran over an alligator. Uh, uh, <laughs> actually, uh, so we got to check that box off. I think, uh, unfortunately, but uh, it, it was a long time in the making this podcast. But yes, it did include the. I'm sorry. Anyway. Um, it's been really great talking to you about Tarzan, and I hope that uh, you pick a great way to celebrate Edgar Rice Burroughs Day. Let's all meet in Tarzana. It's September 1st. He was born on September 1st in uh, 1875 or something like that. His daughter became uh, played Jane in one of the films. And she married, did, on the radio, married, the radio, radio. Oh, the radio, forgive me. Yeah, and married the Tarzan. Yeah. Uh, so his son-in-law was Tarzan. Living the dream. I mean, your daughter becomes Jane. You live in Tarzana. That's that's pretty crazy. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And uh, I like. I think I'll go back and check out his war correspondence uh, just to see what that's all about. Because I think that that just sounds nutty. Although you, you have to admire someone there at you know age sixty six willing to ship off to the South Pacific to yeah. fight the good fight. Or Absolutely. Read it. Write about it. But uh, awesome. Well. Welcome back uh, to the jungle, always. And uh, Michael, thank you for joining us. We hope you'll join us here again. Anytime. Right, thank you very much. And we'll see you guys next time. Yeah.